reading is taken from the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 40. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 26. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent, to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. 
To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. This is the word of the Lord. Let's respond by singing together from hymn 12, stanzas 1 and 4. The text for the sermon this morning is... From the same chapter we just read, Isaiah 40, verses 27 to the end. Where we read, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In response to the preaching of God's word, we will voice our amen together afterwards by singing from hymn 13, 1 through 5. Beloved brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian life is not easy. It has been said, and I believe rightly so, the Christian life is not just hard, it's impossible. You and I are not able to live the Christian life, not of ourselves, it's beyond us, isn't it? We don't have the strength to live as we are called to live. We can only do so in the strength that the Lord provides. And in our text, we are reminded of that. We are reminded that it is God who gives us the supernatural strength to do what he calls us to do. The Christian life can only be lived in the power which Christ himself has obtained for us and which he gives to us through his Holy Spirit. And that is a great comfort to us, isn't it, brothers and sisters? As we strive to live our Christian life, as we also read from Colossians 3. God does not ask us to to do his will without empowering us to do his will. He does not ask us to do his work in our own strength. And it is in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. 
And he doesn't give strength either to people who think that they are strong in themselves. He only gives strength to those who have no strength apart from him. To those who acknowledge their own weakness. And that's why Paul can write elsewhere that we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. And that's why we can rightly say then that every challenge we face, every trial we, we face, every burden we have, it's a demand not on our own strength, but it's a demand on the strength that we receive from our Father in heaven. And that's really what the words of Isaiah 40 verse 31 mean. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. In New Testament language, we would say, they who trust in the power of the indwelling spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall receive what they need to live the Christian life. And so to unpack this message this morning, we're going to go through verses 27 to 31, and we'll do that in chronological order. So these verses begin with Isaiah speaking on God's behalf, asking God's people why they are complaining. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? It's difficult for us to determine the precise circumstances under which these complaints were made. But when you listen to this complaint, you discover very quickly that it's a universal complaint. It's a common complaint amongst God's people. Why is my way hidden from God? And this reference to my way is simply a... A phrase that refers to my daily life. What they're saying is that the way they must travel, the road that they're traveling on is hidden from God. So even though they acknowledge Yahweh as their God, their God by covenant, because that's what the name Yahweh implies, at the same time they're saying our covenant God is ignoring our suffering. Israel does not believe that the God who chose her as his people, they don't believe this God is omniscient, that he sees everything, that he hears everything, that he knows everything, and that he cares. That's their complaint, what they're basically saying. God doesn't know what I'm going through. God doesn't see what I'm going through. He's not paying attention to my circumstances. He's, he's not concerned. He's too busy to answer my prayers. Does that pity party sound familiar to you, brothers and sisters? The sad truth is that complaining against God and against our circumstances is something that we all fall into, isn't it? And we need to be reminded that complaining is sin. It's a sin that we need to repent from. And it's clearly implied that it's God's people here who are doing the complaining. It's not the Canaanites, it's not the Babylonians or the Egyptians. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, the prophet says. These are God's people doing the complaining. It is God's chosen people who are saying, My way is hidden from the Lord. And the word speak in their English version has the connotation of an accusation. It's as if there's, they, they are asserting, they are declaring God doesn't see me. The God of Jacob doesn't see me. How dare they? How dare they complain against the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? How dare they complain against the God who rescues them and defends his people, which is so clear from their history? 
How dare we complain against the God who sent his one and only son into this world to live in the muck of our life and to suffer and to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins? How dare we? How dare we say God doesn't know what I'm going through? He is disregarding my situation. He's not paying attention to my circumstances. How would we ever dare to say God is not concerned with me? He's too busy to bother with me. He's not listening to my prayers. He doesn't hear me. I'm pretty sure I'm not even on God's radar. How dare we? And it gets even worse. The second complaint compounds that accusation. My right is disregarded by my God. The justice that is due me is escaping God's notice. They're saying, life is just not fair. I have suffered unjustly, and God is not even caring to take notice of the injustice because he just lets it go on. He continues wrong to allow wrong to happen in my life. I've gotten a raw deal, and God's not doing anything about it. After all, how could he if he doesn't even notice me? Again, a complaint from God's own people. From those who have a covenant relationship with him. From those who are the apple of God's eye. Those who are chosen for his own possession. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm sure by now you know that this is a common thing. We can all be guilty of this same kind of complaining. Complaining against our circumstances. And, and what that really is, is, is a complaint against God because we also confess that God is sovereign. There is nothing beyond his control. Good days and bad fruitful and barren years, to quote the catechism. Are you a complainer? Does this describe your life? Do we really need to be reminded that complaining against God was one of the greatest sins that the Israelites committed as they traveled from Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land? Why did you bring us here? Why can't we go back to Egypt? And why do we have to eat this manna? Every morning again, we're sick of it. Is it any wonder that an entire generation of Israelites didn't make it to the promised land? But the Bible says we are to do all things without grumbling or complaining. The Apostle Peter says, be without complaint. The Apostle Paul writes, we must not be put Christ to the test as some of them did, referring to these very Israelites and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer, by God himself. Well, then, what is the Lord's response to this complaint from his people? Well, his response is that he reveals his character to them. He calls them to refocus their hearts on him. In other words... As someone said, they don't need to know the why, they need to know the who. Or as another author put it, we don't need an explanation, we need a revelation. A revelation of the character of our God. And you get that also in the main body of Isaiah 40, 
And this chapter really reminds us of how the Lord answered Job, right? After all of Job's complaints, and then in the last few chapters of the book of Job, God says, don't you know who I am? And that's why Isaiah comes in verse 28 with these very basic questions. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Basic Christianity, 101. Even the kids know this. Have you really forgotten that the Lord is the everlasting God? Do you really not know that He is not like those pagan idols made of wood and stone, idols that decay and rot and fall apart and break, idols of sex and power and money whose pleasures do not last, idols of self-pity and bitterness, idols that cannot hear or speak or reason, that cannot satisfy Do you not know that God is the one true living God? The everlasting God. As the psalmist says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He never changes. He never decays. He never becomes less. He he doesn't diminish. He never weakens. He is the same forever. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who called Abraham. The God who led his people out of Egypt who brought them through the wilderness, who brings them to the promised land, the God who sent His Son into this world to die for you. He's the God who was there before you were born, before any of your trials began. And He reigns over your trials and in your trials and through your trials. And He continues to reign until your trials are over and you return to dust. Have you forgotten this? He is the everlasting God. He transcends time and space. We live in the present, but God rules not only in the present. He rules in the past and He rules in the future. Time doesn't mean anything to God like it does to us. And this eternal God... He has purposes and plans that are not restricted to today. And this God is your God today. And secondly, He is the Lord, Yahweh. The truth of God's character is in that name. I am who I am. The self-existing God. We, We are dependent. We derive our existence from Him. But there is only one being in the universe who is self-existent and self-sustaining. He has life in and of himself, and he draws life from himself. He draws his power from himself. He needs no one. He's dependent on no one. And yet we are completely dependent on him for even the very breath that we take. In him we live and move and have our being, writes the apostle. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forevermore. So this God exists in himself, to himself, from himself. He has no deficiency in him. And all of his perfections are without limit. He is without beginning of days or end of life, says the scripture. Therefore, also, there is no variation or shadow due to change in him. You see, our world changes We change, our situations change, our emotions change. We are constantly in flux. But God does not change. He doesn't even change for the better. 
Because he is already perfect, he cannot become better. And this is your God, brothers and sisters, and this is the God who reveals himself to us in Scripture and through his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we need more than anything else. To get through your trials, to get through your difficulties, you need to behold your God, the everlasting Lord, who is and was and who is coming, and who is also the creator, as Isaiah calls him, the creator of the ends of the earth, He is the powerful, omnipotent God who spoke everything into being out of nothing. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth and all their their host. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. This is our God, and we will praise him. And the psalmist continues, he, the Lord, foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. This is our God. Powerful. Awesome. Incomparable. Sovereign. His plans do not change. His purposes do not change. His character does not change. You can trust him. You can count on him. You can believe every single word that he says. You can believe that every promise he ever makes will come to to pass, will be fulfilled, and he will never let you down. You can stake your life on him. And the second half of verse 28 tells us this this self-existing, self-sustaining, All-creating, sovereign God does not become weary or tired. He is always capable of providing all the needs of every single one of his people. He is never tired of doing good. He's not like a man. Our resources run out. His don't. No matter how often and how much he gives. And his kindness is never exhausted. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting We become weary, but our God is always full of strength, always full of zeal, always full of power, always able to take care of any and every need that we have. And he can do this and he does do this because his understanding is unsearchable. We might still ask, in spite of all this, if God is so great and glorious and awesome, Does he really still know what's going on in the life of little old me? Does he know where I am? Does he know what's happening to me? But Isaiah says his understanding is unsearchable. That is, it's inscrutable. Higher than the highest mountain, deeper than the deepest ocean. We can't even begin to comprehend how much God comprehends about us. We think we know our needs. But in reality, we know very little about our own needs. We don't even perceive our needs properly, let alone understand them. But not God. Because His understanding is beyond anything we can understand. 
We make plans. We make the kind of plans that we think will take care of our needs. And we come up with solutions that we think will take care of our problems. But God's understanding of our situation is unsearchable. His knowledge and wisdom as to the unfolding of our lives, the way, the way our lives go, the way he plans our lives, that's beyond comprehension. And so again, I would say we don't need to know the why, we just need to know the who. And like Job, we need to be careful how we ask the why. We must do so with humility. And we need to trust this God, to have faith in Him. Faith by which we, with our finite, limited understanding, entrust our lives, our situations, and our difficulties to this sovereign God whose knowledge is unsearchable. And again, we should be careful not to ask why. Because the truth is, even if God explained it to you, how his providential care works in your life, and why he's doing what he's doing in your life, and how that fits into his eternal plan and purposes, it would go way over your head anyway. You would never get it. Listen to Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. We can't even do that for ourselves. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Again, something we can't do. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. You can't empty the ocean with a bucket. You can't expect to understand the ways of God in your life. We don't need to know the why. We just need to know the who. We simply need to know who our God is and trust Him. This everlasting God, this creator of the ends of the earth who never grows weary and whose understanding is unsearchable. Why would you ever trust anyone anything else anyway? Why would you trust yourself or someone else if you can trust this God instead? Because if your hope is in other people, your hope will be dashed. Even the, most, the best Christian friend that you have will, will let you down at times. And there's no security in this life. If your hope is in your finances or your retirement portfolio or any other supposedly secure thing, you will be let down. There is only one who never lets you down. And he is the God of the Bible. And there is only one person in the world who has never let anyone down. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. It is only when your hope is focused on him that you will not be disappointed. He will never let you down even if you're facing death or the death of a loved one or whatever your difficulty is, he will never let you down. In fact, the truth is that just like the complaining Israelites, it is we who let him down. And if truth be told, if there was anyone who ever got a raw deal, it was our Lord Jesus Christ, not the Israelites and not us. 
he is perfect, the divine Son of God. And he left behind the glory and majesty of heaven to come down to earth and to live in the muck of our life, to live with sinful, sinful people like us, people who hated him, the people who caused the muck. And he lived this life and was willing to suffer and die for those very same people. He died as the righteous for the unrighteous. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And for that reason, for that reason, we can be absolutely sure that God will help and care for anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. If the God of heaven is willing to sacrifice his one and only son for your sins, surely you can trust this God to help you through life to get to the eternal promised land. If he was willing to go to such great lengths to save you, surely he will also help you get through this life and into eternity. And that comfort is also revealed in the words of our text. Because whatever God calls us to do, he gives us the power and the strength to do it. As I mentioned already, he will never call us to do something that we cannot do in his strength. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And that really brings it home, doesn't it? God breathes hope and encouragement into people who are weak. God gives strength to the weary, mental strength to those who are defeated, spiritual strength to those who doubt. And this is a supernatural divine strength, a strength that's out of this world. It's not a strength we get from each other or from ourselves. And it's also superabundant strength. It never runs out. And it's greater than the devil and all his hosts. It's greater than sin. It's greater than temptation. It's greater than our own sinfulness. And greater than our troubles. Greater than death. Greater than the loss of anything we could ever imagine. To him who has no might, he increases strength. And we all need this, don't we? We all need this divine strength, don't we? Even though some of us, I guess I could say all of us at times pretend that we are not weak. We are all weak. And we are nothing without God. Apart from me you can do nothing, says the Lord Jesus. But to those who are weak, to those who recognize their weakness, he gives strength. Strength to take another step. Strength to overcome temptation. Strength to raise your children. To keep on witnessing. To keep on loving. The Lord increases strength. And to really bring this home, he gives us a contrasting illustration in verses 30 and 31. In verse 30, we read about those who have the most strength, the most energy. The ones who are wired from the moment they get up in the morning till the moment they hit the bed at night. Young men who are full of energy. But even they will come to the end of their energy. They will run out of energy. They will get exhausted. They will fall and they will stumble. And then verse 31 
comes the contrast. Those who wait for the Lord will find the strength. What does that mean? Well, to wait for the Lord means to expect, to look for, to hope for, to be patiently waiting. It means to look to the Lord and to the Jesus Christ for everything that you need. When, you're, when you stop looking, when you stop expecting, then you're not waiting anymore. Or when you take matters into your own hands, you're not waiting for the Lord. So to wait is not a passive thing. It's, a, it's an active thing. It's actively trusting in faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. And to have your strength renewed means to have it replaced. It's actually a word that has the connotation of, of having an exchange, a, Your strength will be substituted. Your weakness will be substituted for God's strength. It's like taking off old clothes, putting on new clothing. And those who wait for the Lord then will receive strength to to labor, to pray, to resist sin and temptation, and and to also bear up under the burdens of life. God gives an endless supply of fresh strength. And then we have three illustrations of what this means. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If we wait for the Lord, our souls will be lifted up up out of the muck and the mire of this life. and, and, And they will fly heavenward. It will feel like we're soaring like eagles if we wait for the Lord. We will be lifted to the throne of God. It means to become heavenly minded. That our hearts would soar towards heaven that we would draw strength from Him, that we would have communion with Him, that we would soar like, like eagles even though our feet are still planted on this ground where we run and where we walk. But then without becoming faint or weary. You see, even in the midst of trouble, we are still lifted by His strength, enabled to fly by faith, to press on, to run and not grow weary. Notice, the implication is we're not sitting, we're running, we're walking, we're pressing on, engaged in this strength, this strength-filled life that God gives us. I can refer to the words of Hebrews 12. As we run the race that is set before us, we don't get tired because we have been blessed by this great exchange of our weakness for God's strength. We will run, even when the challenges are great, over obstacles and through valleys, enabled by this divine strength, this abundant strength to keep running. And so this metaphor of walking clearly means that this is about our daily lifestyle of walking in love and walking in holiness and fear before the Lord. And this promise... Brothers and sisters, this promise, this gift is for every single one of God's people. It is for everyone who is called to run the race that is set before them. And isn't that encouraging? The Lord enables us to soar. To soar higher, to walk faster and run farther than we ever thought would be possible. It is His supernatural power 
that gives us the energy to do this, to soar and sprint and stay the course. He enables us to be who we are called to be and to do what he calls us to do. How else would you ever explain the Christian life? We know that we don't do it in our own strength. The Christian life isn't just hard, it's impossible. Apart from God's power, it's impossible. Apart from the supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Christian life is impossible. We could not run the race. There can be no other explanation for the Christian life than this. How we do what we do, how we press on, is impossible apart from the reality of what God tells us here in these verses in Isaiah 40. And so, brothers and sisters, I pray that this would encourage you. May this truth lift our hearts to soar higher than an eagle's. And may we incorporate this truth and live this truth every day. As the author of the Hebrews writes, let us then lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, the weight of complaining and grumbling, the weight of groaning and murmuring, the weight of unbelief. Let's lay that aside. And may we be enabled to fly and soar to the heights of heaven above the muck and the mire that we live in. Behold your God. He is great. There is no God like him. And he is with you and he goes with you and he goes before you. He may not change your circumstances, but he will change your heart and your soul and your mind. He will exchange your weakness with his strength so that you can run the race that he has set before you. The Lord never promises that that life as a Christian will be free from trouble, but he does promise that when you trust in him, he will be with you in your troubles. And this God has never let anyone down. And our Lord Jesus Christ has never let anyone down. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you believe this, And if you believe in him and trust in him, then this will become a reality in your life. Amen.